Hello everyone and welcome to the Wilds Cast. Today's episode is a rebroadcast of a Lunch and Learn on Facebook Live. It's the first in a special two-part series. The topic is technology and slander. Where do we draw the line? It's a Jewish perspective on the good, the bad, and the ugly of social media. So, without further ado, here's Rabbi Wilds. So, I want to begin um, to talk to you a little about technology. And that's really the purpose of our discussion today and tomorrow, is to speak about some of the positive aspects of technology, what technology has done. I'll say it right off the bat. If it wasn't for technology, we wouldn't be able to be coming to you live like this uh, right now. Um, and uh, obviously, with every blessing comes challenges. Challenges. Um, uh, I also want to mention that um, anybody interested here in joining, um, Jill and I are going to be in the city this weekend, and we'll be uh, leading some Torah classes, maybe even some davening some praying. So if you're interested, just, uh, we have a sign up, uh, just email me privately. If you would like to come, it'll be on Shabbos morning and we might do something Friday night as well. Um, okay. So from a, a Jewish perspective, um, and, um, <clears throat> I'd like to analyze <clears throat> social media. The greatest indication of how truly important Torah is to our lives is to the degree to which we apply its values and its principles to our everyday lives. And like it or not, the way we live our lives today is online. Even before Corona started, we were already starting to live our lives online. The internet, social media, it's where we live and it's not going away. And I think during this period, this pandemic, it has made us even more reliant on social media and thank God for it. But from a Jewish perspective, you know, I would say that's a good thing because in general, Judaism is pro-technology. It just depends on how we use it. Now, why do I say that Judaism in general fundamentally is pro-technology? Because one of the very first instructions that God gives to Adam is v'kivshua, to conquer the forces of nature, to build a better world to create a cure for disease, let's get a vaccine, to build hospitals, to conquer space by creating technology that allows us to transport ourselves from one place to the next and enable us to communicate in a very, re in real time, which is what we're doing right now. We are communicating to each other in real time. And I've, I've shared this quote, I think I shared this last week, but it bears repeating uh, at the outset of this discussion. Rav Salvechik in his famous Lonely Man of Faith wrote, and I quote, Men of old who cannot fight disease and succumbed in multitudes to yellow fever or to any other plague with degrading helplessness could not lay claim to what he calls his dignity. Only the man who builds hospitals, discovers therapeutic techniques, and saves lives, he says, is blessed with dignity. Man of the 17th century, 18th centuries, who needed several days to travel from Boston to New York was less dignified than modern man who attempts to conquer space, boards a plane at the New York airport, at a New York airport at midnight and takes uh, several hours later a leisurely walk along the streets of London. By the way, I think Rabbi Salvechik came up with this line because um, he himself 
um, commuted twice a week from Boston, where he lived, to New York City to teach at Yeshiva University. So the internet has made the world smaller and it's enabled us to be so much more efficient with our time and it's a blessing. But like every bracha, there are challenges. Like any good message, like any good medicine, there are side effects. Every time you go to a doctor and the doctor says, don't worry about this problem, I've got the solution, just take this pill, take this drug. What do you always say, doctor? What are the side effects? Judaism recognizes this, that the Torah in general allows for something good though, even when it carries with it the potential for danger. Wine is my favorite example, wine. In Judaism, we use wine to sanctify, but we know it can be addictive. We know wine can be harmful. What would Shabbos or Yom Tov be like without wine? And yet it can literally destroy a person's life. And the internet is no different. It's got all of these incredible positives. We can stay connected to each other all over the world. It helps us meet people. How many people are married today because of online dating, right? Even that special someone. And it's how we find jobs. It's how we learn. There's so much Torah on the internet, so much wisdom, including, I mean, literally at the touch of a button, there are life-saving you know, information and websites on health issues that can be so quickly spread to give people light and medicine and, and therapy, right? In the touch of a button, unlike the dark years of the Shoah, when there was no transparency, nobody knew what was going on wherever. So much secrecy and deception. We can know everything while it's happening. The United States can respond to an attack, let's say by Syria on its own population. God forbid when they came out with a poison gas attack, right? Because someone with an iPhone in Damascus can post a video on their Facebook. And of course it places greater responsibility on us because we now know more and therefore should be doing more with that new knowledge. But that same social media, Facebook, which can save lives, can also be used, and we've seen this, to disseminate hate and misinformation. Facebook was used in uh, Burma as the medium for the anti-Muslim hysteria that led to the ethnic cleansing of the Rohingya people. I mean, it was a terrible ethnic cleansing situation, and it... Um, was moved around from Facebook. Um, uh, Mark Zuckerberg came under a lot of pressure that uh, they should be uh, not allowing Facebook to be used by anyone and everything at the time. Uh, there was an ultra-nationalist ultra Buddhist monk, Ashin Wirathu, who used Facebook to broadcast his very inflammatory propaganda. He was comparing Muslims to mad dogs. He was posting these disgusting pictures of dead bodies that he claimed were being were killed by Muslims. It wasn't true. And these rants and these pictures resulted in terrible ethnic cleansing that killed thousands and sent 700,000 people uh, fleeing Burma to neighboring Bangladesh, all because someone was able to manipulate social media. Fake news, right? It's, it's a term, it's a thing in the West affects elections. In the poorer parts of the world, it can cost lives. And the same social media devices that we love and we use every day, I want to wish uh, my son Yosef a mazel tov. I posted yes, last night, he 
just graduated at a Zoom graduation. Um, <clears throat> that is an incredible device that we use and love every day and, 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 and you know, to spread good news, you know? But the same platform, the same social media platforms can be used for online stalking, cyberbullying, endless pornography, which is creating real issues in relationships. And the same Facebook, which has been such a blessing to us at MGE, also inspires deep anxiety, not only in teenagers, but in adults, publicizing all the fun that one group of people are having, and this is very detrimental for adolescents, while another group sits feeling like they're missing out on all the fun. And I remember I was telling my daughter, this is probably six months ago, we went away for a couple of days, we were out on a boat, uh, we just took like a rowboat out and she wanted to post a picture and I, you know, and the weather was nice and we were able to get to a nice weather area. I forgot where we were. But I said to her, I said, sweetheart, do me a favor, don't post this because you might have friends that weren't able to get away, right? I don't know, for one reason or another, they weren't able to leave and maybe they didn't have the money to, uh, who knows? And now you're going to make your friends feel bad that you're having this great time with your family and they're going to start nagging their parents. Why didn't you take me to this place? And this is difficult, and it's wasting so much of our time. Many of the social media devices are addictive, particularly to children. In 2013, January 2013, there was a California girl made headlines. Uh, this sounds ridiculous, but she drugged her parents. She actually put sleeping pills in her parents' milkshakes so she could use the internet past her curfew. And... Um, and there's a very famous, I put this in my book, uh, Beyond the Instant, that um, um, University of Michigan uh, reported that increased Facebook use is correlated to uh, increased levels of depression. Uh, you get sucked into just swiping through other people's lives. It's not a positive um, self-building exercise. Um, so clearly social media is creating some issues, but... We also don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. There's just so much good, and it ain't going away. So we need to know how to navigate the challenges. And so therefore, what I want to do with you today and tomorrow is to identify a couple of those challenges, explore how, from a Jewish perspective, we can better deal with this extraordinary tool that, if used wisely and in moderation, can bring such blessing, such blessing into our lives. So the first issue, and I put this in the title, is Lashon Hara, which we spoke a little about last week. <coughs> Take a look on your handout. Benjamin posted the handout. Um, it should look like this. Okay. And uh, let's take a look at the Pasuk. We actually learned this Pasuk on Friday because it was in last week's parasha. Lo selech rachel ba'amecha. Excuse me. This verse was not found in last week's parasha. This verse is found in the book of Leviticus, but what was in last week's Parsha having to do with slander? Yes, you guessed it, the sin of Miriam. Miriam spoke ill of her brother Moshe, and that is the paradigmatic story in the Bible having to do with Lashon Har. But here's the, the verse. Do not go around as a gossip monger amongst your people. You shall not stand by the shedding of your fellow's blood. I'm the Lord. Take a look at Rashi. Thou shalt not go about as a talebearer. I say that because all those who sow discord between people 
and all who speak slander go into their friends' houses in order to spy out what evil they can see or what evil they can hear so that they can tell it in the streets. These people, he says, are called Rachil, Holchei Rachil, meaning they're people who, haloch, to walk means to go about. They walk around. It's a yenta, it's a schmoozer. The person goes from this house, here's a nice juicy piece of information, and shares it with somebody else. The Ibn Ezra, great um, early commentator, um, explains that, um, that a talebearer is from the word your merchandise, and also with all the powers, powders of the merchant. Here the word denotes a gossiper. Just as a merchant transmits things, buying them here and selling them there like a peddler, right? So too does a gossiper transmit things, revealing to one what he heard from another. And uh, that is the first category, um, which we talked about on Friday. That's called rechilot. It does not necessarily refer to negative information or false information. It could be true and it could be, you know, innocuous. It doesn't have to be bad information, right? Lashon Hara refers to negative information, something bad about another person, but it could also be true and still be Lashon Hara. Motsi Shemra is specifically negative information, which is false. Someone made up something about someone else. These are the three categories of forbidden speech in Judaism. Now, sometimes negative information needs to be shared, but only when there is what's called a to'elet, a purpose. And we gave this example, two examples of when it's okay to say something negative about someone else is shirachs and business. Shirach is a, a match where one must share the truth even when it's negative, but to do so with discretion, and you have to have um, firsthand um, knowledge of the information. It can't be something you heard through the grapevine. That's called hearsay. And therefore, Rav Shechter, great rabbi of our generation at Yeshiva University, said that if one is asked to comment on a certain person for a match, a shidduch purpose, to fix somebody up, and the individual has a certain negative trait, the best way to deal with it is to ask the inquirer what they are looking for in a match, and then respond that the person they're asking about does not fit that description. Right? In other words, you don't have to gratuitously say, by the way, this is not a good idea because this person is a real son of a, you know. No, you just want to say, what is this? You know, you're trying to fix uh, Mary up with Bob. Tell me, what does Mary need? What is Mary looking for? And then say, you know what? You, you, you know about this negative trait, which is going to prevent you from fixing them up. You say, um, uh, you know, I don't think, it, based on what I hear Mary is looking for, or based on what I hear about Mary's personality, I don't think Bob is a good fit. And that's it. And that way you can avoid saying something negative. Um, after the couple has gone out and you know something about someone else, you might have a responsibility to disclose it if it's objective and you are firsthand aware of it. Um, you know, there are times when you just can't get around it. You, you have to share it. And the second um, example is business. If you have a friend that's about to go into business with someone and uh, you were cheated by that individual, you do have a responsibility to share uh, what, um, what happened to you so that the other person is not put in a negative situation and you knew about it. Um, I guess what I'm saying, okay, someone was asking, go. 
Okay, is saying, I guess what I am saying, many prominent Jews like Zuckerberg have nothing to say on Israel and anti-Semitism, yet it builds. What was your question? Um, uh, yet builds his portion of Jewish identity around the very limited perspective of tikkun olam. Okay, no, I understand that. Um, if anybody has any questions or comments, Ori is saying important to highlight how things are used as a supplement versus substitute. Social media is a great supplement in person, but it's a terrible substitute. Ooh, I like that distinction. It supplements, but it does not substitute, 100%. By the way, I've, seen this about, I've said this about the phone many times. You can't pick up another person's nuances and their body language and gestures over the phone, certainly not in an email or a text. And those human cues are quite important for building relationships and trust. And that's why a lot of people still prefer today, even um, in the age of the internet, to get together in person in order to really uh, make a business deal or obviously to date and so on and so forth. Um, okay, these are great comments. I just want to see what else anybody said. Anyone else? Uh, do you think some Jews who have been incredibly successful inventing social media are using impossible... I'm having a hard time reading this because I'm a little too far from the camera. Hang on one second. Apologize, guys. Um, is this a form of misunderstanding Judaism by virtue of creating exciting technology, building on multiple conversations. Yeah, I mean, I think people are trying to create technology in order to make people's lives better. I think Mark Zuckerberg, you know, even just because somebody made a ton of money off something doesn't mean that his intentions are all uh, negative or just completely selfish. But I think you have to be careful and not reckless. Um, and this is, this, this, this goes back, you know, <laughs> Uh, Albert Einstein's great um, scientific mind ultimately led to the creation of the atom bomb. Now, he was not trying to create anything that would hurt other people, but that's, what in, that's, that, that's always what happens when you create something amazing. There's no way around it. Every medication has a side effect. What you have to try to do is limit the, uh, the damage, and that's really what we're discussing now in this class. Um, we want to be able to utilize technology, get the positive out of it, but figure out where the pitfalls are and where Jewish values conflict with some of the negative um, uh, effects or um, the negative repercussions of certain social media devices. So the first thing we're talking about is uh, Lashon Hara. And by the way, Lashon Hara is not limited to the spoken word. Um, you know, you text something, you post something, uh, it poses all sorts of issues, and it applies not only to friends and colleagues, but even to people we don't know. And just like we love to gossip about entertainers and public officials and political leaders, if it's not a purposeful, productive conversation, just to badmouth somebody and to say the president is such a this, this guy is such a that, when it's not productive, is also considered within the rubric of Lashon Hara. We're so used to it, and I know it sounds crazy, but we have to be careful the way we speak, even about public officials. Now, having said that, 
the Chazanish, one of the great rabbis of the previous generation, wrote that we are permitted and even required to be aware of the behavior of our communal leaders, whether they're political leaders or our rabbis and teachers, so we can have good leadership. Nothing wrong with that. Lashon Hara doesn't prohibit us from that. But the Chazanish wrote that you should practice extreme caution not to deviate from the truth and not to go beyond what is relevant and necessary. And I would add, to try not to personalize the information. Not to go, you know, and he's referring here to Jewish communal leaders, but I think it applies to, to everyone. And I'll tell you a story. I just saw this. Um, you know, I've been talking a lot about my revered teacher, Rabbi Dr. Norman Lamb, who just passed away. And one of the stories that I just heard from uh, another one of my mentors and teachers, Rabbi Schachter, he said that Rabbi Lamb was once writing an article in opposition to, I think, the Nature Karta position on religious Zionism. Nature Karta was vehemently anti-Zionist. And Rabbi Lamb wrote a very respectful argument, uh, an article explaining why he felt they were completely wrong and why their analysis of whatever Torah sources they were using were completely inaccurate. When he finished writing the article, he said, but I just want to say that I have the greatest respect, nonetheless, for uh, this group of uh, Hasidic leaders uh, for articulating their particular position. And he got beat up uh, by some other writer who said, you know, how could you be respectful of... And Rabbi Lam was respectful of other people. Maybe disagreed vehemently with their opinions. But we have to learn to be able to separate between people and the things that they say having respect for the person, but disagreeing vehemently with what is being said. And in a day and age where we just stop listening to the other side and we just defriend, we take people off our Facebook that we don't agree with, we just don't want to get into an argument with them. I mean, that's the end of growth as far as I'm concerned. You can't really learn if you don't have, if you don't listen to opposing views. Uh, that's what the entire Talmud is. It's about the clash and conflict between view A and view B. And that's how truth has arrived. That's how what we believe happens in a court of law. You have the prosecution and the defense. And because these two are coming up against each other, we have the opportunity to then get as close as we possibly can to the truth. But if you only surround yourself, as some of the, the networks are doing today, and on Fox, Fox only brings in people who are conservative-minded, and if CNN only brings in people that are more liberal-minded, you're not going to be able to really arrive at anything deep. You're just going to be listening to yourself speak or people who agree with you. Um, so this is a very, very important issue. So again, Lashon Hara doesn't prohibit us from speaking about our leaders, political officials, but it, there has to be some sort of productive point of view. And I would add, we have to depersonalize it and just talk about the, um, the, the, the merits or the demerits, if you will, of whatever position is being advocated. Um, and the Chazanish says, by the way, it's, he says it's important for voters to be fully informed as to the positives and negatives of their leaders, but it has to be number one, accurate information, which obviously is a challenge today, cannot be gossip. And number two, it needs to be necessary information. Uh, the problem is, uh, and I don't wanna get into a whole discussion of this, but it is relevant, the problem is Politics is about winning elections, and negative advertising seems to be more effective in winning elections. Um, 
Now, does that mean you can't say anything negative about your opponent? You can if it's accurate and if it's necessary. If it's necessary for people to know what your opponent is saying and it happens to be negative, it's okay to do that. It's not okay simply to win an election. It's okay to be able to, to, to share the truth. Now, um, when we let this go, it ultimately prevents good people from running for office. Because who wants that? I mean, I remember my, my brother happens to be in politics in New Jersey. Um, he's the mayor of, of Englewood. And I remember how, dis, the, um, how difficult it was for him in the beginning years when people would just say negative things just to win. Um, maybe some were true, but most of it was were not true. And it just seemed to be like, okay, you know, if you can get away with it, it seems to be all right because, you know, the greater goal of winning an election. There is no such uh, basis for this. And the same goes for journalism. Journalism is in a position to do an awful amount of good. But again, they feel compelled, journalists, um, to, to sell papers and to become more popular because the more popular, the more papers you sell. Just watch the movie Post, one of the best movies, about how the Washington Post disclosure of classified governmental documents revealed that for years, Vietnam was seen by the United States government as an unwinnable war. And how the president, how president after president continued to send American soldiers to fight in Vietnam. And the disclosure of those reports helped bring an end to the war, a war that cost over 55,000 lives and gained very little politically. And of course, there was a real need to uh, confront um, the, uh, the North Vietnamese. Um, they were being backed by the Russians and America during the Cold War was trying to contain Soviet expansiveness and um, expansionism and uh, communism, uh, which was being spread by the Soviets throughout the world in these other countries like Vietnam, like Korea. But, um, if the public knew that young American boys were being sent uh, to fight a war that was unwinnable, then that war would have been brought to an end in a much faster time. So it's critical for people to be aware of these things. You can't say, well, it's Lush and Hara, I can't say anything, and, and God forbid people die as a result. There are exceptions to every rule, and certainly that is a valid exception. Um, you know, and if there's information about the CIA or about Nixon, the president at the time, but we know that journalism has resorted to bad mouthing people, even when there isn't a toilet, even when there isn't a sort of a productive purpose. Um, Rav Cook was one of the great um, rabbinic figures of the last century, and uh, he was a great mystic and Kabbalist and also a great Talmudist. And he had these letters. And in one of his letters, he wrote that a newspaper must aim to elevate the community. And therefore, in its fo I'm quoting, thus in its focus and presentation, it should aim to be one level above its readership, above rather than catering to base interests and prurient tastes, but only one level above so that its words and messages should be accessible to its readers and can set a tone that is noble and idealistic. Now that is incredible. <laughs> Can you imagine if 
all of the newspapers and there was such integrity in journalism. But that's, you know, that's what Rav Cook was preaching. And he wasn't saying that they can't write about bad things that are going on or even write about people that are doing or saying bad things. He's saying that it's important that people know these things and we know what's happening. But it's got to be done in a way that's one step above where people are at, not one or ten steps below. Okay? This is very important. And I think his words were very prophetic and unfortunately far cry from where much of the press is today. But that doesn't mean we have to give in. It's easy to put down the newspapers, though, for failing to live up to the standard. But the truth is, you and I, right now, I just realized this, that we are all, with the internet and the social media, we're all in the same category with Facebook and with Instagram. We're all journalists. With a click of the button, we can disseminate new information. We could never do this before. Maybe you'd have to write an article. I mean, 30 years ago, you'd have to write an article and get it published by the New York Times or some newspaper of record that's going to get it out there. Today, if you have enough of a following on your Facebook page, on your Instagram, you could post something and you can get thousands of people to watch it. And if it's got a viral effect to it, you can get millions of people to watch it. It's just, um, you know, it has to be information that is true and it's got to be information that is relevant and important for people to know. Because even if it's true, if it's negative, and it's not serving a productive, positive end. It's just getting more likes and clicks because it's juicy. It's juicy information, then that's not considered enough of a justification. Okay, let's see some comments here. I know I said a lot here. Uh, do you think some Jews... Okay, we said that before. Let's see if there are any other comments or questions. Howard, how do you know that the information on the web is accurate? There's no filter to remove inaccurate. It's a big problem, Howard. It's a huge problem. You need to fact check. And I'll tell you when I started learning how to do this. When I wrote my first book, Beyond the Instant, you know, I hear all these things. Here's a study that says this and a study that says that. And this guy got quoted. You got to start. I remember I had this, um, what is it called? Snoops? There's a, a website that actually looks into the accuracy of information out there. So I'll give you one small example, but it's a good one. I think. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, I heard um, before he became the 16th president of the United States and this incredible uh, orator and uh, leader and, uh, you know, brought the, to, brought the end to slavery. And he had failure after failure, like a crazy amount of failures. And it seemed like there were a little too many failures. I don't know how many, how one person could fail so many times in their life. So I snooped it. I think, I, I hope I'm saying it right. Um, Snopes, it's not Snoops, right? Snopes, thank you, S-N-O-P-E-S. -E and, uh, and I went some on other websites and I also checked out some biographies. I had to actually fact check for the book because you're gonna publish something in your own name and the publisher also doesn't wanna get a bad reputation uh, of putting out stuff that's that, that hasn't been well researched. So, um, so you can do it, and, and I would be very cautious. I would, I would really um, caution all of you, my listeners, my students, my, my friends, to be careful with what you say just because you saw something somewhere. It's okay to say, I saw this. But you really should be sharing something that you don't really think is true. 
Um, but so you can you can snope it s n o p e s, uh, and there's some other websites as well. I'm sure that can help us verify information is true beside before starting to post it and share it all around. Okay, any other comments or questions before we move on? Um, Ori Bortz, is it, it is, is it true? I'm not sure what you're asking, Ori, when you say, is it true? Uh, Tom is, in journalistic and legal terms, slander is a spoken word, libel is a written word. That's correct. And the main difference between, let's say, slander and libel in halacha, in Jewish law, as opposed to secular law, is that in, in secular law, truth is a defense to defamation suit. Meaning if you get slapped or sued for defaming someone or libeling someone, whether it's spoken or written, you just have to basically, uh, you defend yourself by demonstrating that you had a credible source upon which you relied for that information. As long as you can show you had a credible source um, and that, that it was true, then that's fine. Then you, 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 you will recover. Uh, you, you, you cannot be successfully sued against. In halacha, it doesn't matter. See, in halacha, even if something is true, that's not enough of a reason to be able to share it. You need more. You need truth, and there needs to be a productive purpose that people need to know that information. Because even if it's 100% true, but it's not necessary for other people to know that you spent uh, 100, I gave this example last week, or you spent $100,000 on your kitchen, or you, uh, you, so-and-so started dating so-and-so. Okay, it's all true, but why are you talking about people's personal lives? Why are you discussing how much money this person put into their kitchen, or uh, where they're sending their kids to camp, or I don't know, what, whatever it is, that is still gossip. That's the yenta, and that is rechilot. That's exactly what the Torah wants us to stay away from, even if it's true. Okay, let's go to the second source. God, there's so much to talk about here. All right, the second source has to do with um, uh, verbal abuse, and I would say the way that this relates to the internet is cyberbullying. Um, take a look first at the, your source sheet, and then we'll talk about cyberbullying. Very famous verse from the Torah, from Sefer Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, verse 17. V'losanu ish es amito, and you shall not wrong one man his fellow, uh, and you shall fear your God, because I'm the Lord your God. Shall not wrong, right? One person shall not um, do anything against his fellow, and you shall fear Hashem. Now that, um, I wanted to see if there's a Rambam here. Give me one second. Yeah, there's a Rambam. We'll, we'll do the Rambam in a minute. You're not allowed to verbally oppress another person. Take a look on page two on top, and then we'll talk about cyberbullying, how this fits in or not. The 251st prohibition, we're page two of your handout, uh, on top. The 251st prohibition is that we are forbidden from verbally wronging another person by telling him things that will distress and humiliate him and make him discouraged. For example... When a person has sinned in his youth but changed his ways, and then someone tells him, thank God, who has taken you away from that path to this, to the good path, or similar indirect references to faults that cause him pain, like somebody is really 
rehabilitated themselves. They're no longer addicted to this drug or to alcohol or, um, you know, I don't know, they started observing kashrut when they were not keeping kosher from before, or they started observing Shabbat when they weren't keeping Shabbat. Whatever the change in behavior is, and somebody has sort of a veiled reference to the way they used to live. And that is, uh, that is the prohibition of what's called onas dvarim, oppression of words. The source of this prohibition is God's statement, velo sanu, and, uh, and one, sh- one another, and you shall fear God. You should not verbally abuse another person. A sage has said that this refers to verbally causing him pain. Um, now, he then goes into another aspect of verbal abuse, which is called anos dvarim. A sage has said that this refers to verbally causing him pain. Uh, Remember your previous deeds. Da-da-da-da. Now, if you see donkey drivers who are seeking grain to buy, do not say that they can obtain it by a certain person who in reality has nothing to sell and the drivers will be disappointed. Do not ask how much does this cost when you don't intend to make a purchase since it will cause disappointment to the seller. Interesting, another smaller example is if you go into a store, you have no interest in buying anything. You go into the store and you bother the person behind the counter and you say, how much is that sweater? Now you know you're not gonna buy it and you give the impression to the person that you are considering purchasing it that could be a derivative of the prohibition. But that's why it's a little gray because you have to be 100% sure you're not gonna buy anything because if there's even a slight possibility and maybe you're tempted a little to buy that sweater, asking how much it costs or tell me a little more about the sweater, there's nothing wrong with it. Now let's turn the page back to cyberbullying because I think that's, um, I put in the Wikipedia definition which is the use of the internet and related technologies to harm other people in a deliberate, repeated, and hostile manner. Using the internet and other technologies to harm other people deliberately, repeatedly, and in a hostile manner. And um, this is very serious. Uh, There are many individuals who have suffered and continue to suffer from cyberbullying. Basically emails or pictures um, maybe postings of a group of people where they pick on like one kid. They start posting pictures which depict usually a teenager in a negative light. And it's really awful because unlike regular bullying, I don't know if anyone here has been bullied as a kid. Um, you know, if you got bullied at school, at least you can leave school and go home and be in the uh, loving support of your parents until the next day at school. Kid can get a little respite from it when he comes home at night. Cyberbullying though is relentless and can make a kid feel like he's got no escape. And it can do very serious damage to his self-esteem and it leads to depression, substance abuse, which can lead to other really bad things. It's an absolute Torah prohibition under the verse that we just read and Maimonides' explanation that we just read And the fact that social media today can make it anonymous does not detract in any way from the prohibition. The response, of course, to cyberbullying is awareness. Awareness that we may be willing to do worse things to other people when we don't have to face the person we're bullying. We kind of get the joy, it's a sick joy, 
it's a bad joy of harming someone that we want to hurt without having to face up to any consequences. And it's easy to live yourself when you don't actually see the person you're hurting. As an aside, again, that's why face-to-face -face interactions are always better. <laughs> even, even when you're doing something wrong. Why it's important not to rely on texting, emailing, or even the phone to develop relationships, even, even negatively. Okay? Um, I remember the late uh, great Rebetzin Esther Youngreis who used to say that when you're, if you get fixed up with someone to go on a date, when you call the person for the date, don't get into a whole conversation. Just, you know, you say something, a little uh, rapport back and forth, but don't go crazy spending a lot of time because, um, because they really build something real. Ideally, you need to be in the presence of another person. Now, we did a whole section on Zoom dating, and I do think um, dating online is actually better. Dating like this, Zoom, uh, whether it's through, I wouldn't do it through Facebook, but Zoom is much more uh, private, and you can see the other person's gestures. And under the circumstances, because of what's going on now, I don't think it's healthy not to have interactions for so long and not to be dating for so long. But um, ideally, the best situation is, is in person. But if not, I think Zoom is an important thing. If anybody could just tell me, by the way, what time it is. I don't have no watch or no computer in here. All I have is my phone. Um, um, let me just see. Jonathan Brody, in reference to this last source, this applies to our traditions. What about to our non-Jewish brothers and sisters? All of this applies to our non-Jewish brothers and sisters. I always say this, Jonathan. You know, charity starts at home, but it doesn't end at home. There might not only be a technical prohibition with some of these things. Um, oh my God, it's 120. Thank you. I'll finish up in a minute. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, uh, Jonathan. Um, but we should get into the practice of applying all of this to Jew and non-Jew alike. Gineva's Das. Thank you, Scott. Um, thank you, Ori. <laughs> okay. Gineva's Das, which means stealing another person's mind. Getting someone to think you're doing one thing when you're doing something else. Let's say going into the store, you have no intention of buying anything and you're just, I don't know, you have some time to kill. So you start giving the impression to the salesperson that you might actually consider buying something. That applies to Jew and non-Jew alike. Genevas Das, to Jew and non-Jew. Let me just finish this uh, section and we'll finish up. Just so you know that when God tells Miriam in last week's Parsha, how Moshe's prophecy was different than all others, God says to him, Pe el pe adaberbo, face to face, mouth to mouth, do I speak with Moshe. God's relationship with Moshe was more intimate because it was more in person. We believe the entire Jewish people enjoy a more intimate relationship with God because the only people who ever had the merit of having a direct revelation at Sinai with God were the Jewish people. And that's an event we celebrated on the holiday of Shavuot. But the idea that our Torah was not given, you know, through another thing. It was given directly. And Maimonides, the great Rambam, wrote that Moshe's prophecy, the level of prophecy that Moshe Rabbeinu enjoyed, was on a higher level than anyone else. He uses a Greek term, aspakalar, sorry, aspakalaria meira, which means that he saw... He saw the vision through a clear glass, more direct. The more 
direct we are with each other, the more intimate the relationship be, the, the, the relationship will be. The more indirect, the more removed, and cyberbullying therefore is um, it's still effective. It's still effective, but it's ultimately not the way to solve problems in relationships. Ultimately, to try to do that in person as much as possible, face-to-face -face interactions. Okay, we're going to continue tomorrow um, with a lot of other issues. What I want to talk a little about, um, we're discussing technology. Um, I want to talk about distractions and how we can best deal with, we are living in the most distracted um, time ever because of the internet. Uh, again, internet is good, man. We're, we're able to do this because of the internet, but to remember that that with every good medication comes some side effects and challenges. So we're going to talk a little more tomorrow about being mindful uh, and, and, and using mindfulness and being present to work against a lot of the distractions. Uh, we'll talk a little about Shabbat and how that helps as well, and also blessings. I also then want to touch on the topic of inappropriate sites. What websites, um, what do we do about images which affect us that are also uh, just so easily accessible today, unfortunately. And then the last issue I want to discuss tomorrow is modesty and humility uh, in terms of the way we present ourselves um, and post uh, on Facebook and Instagram. And these are all things that I'm challenged and struggling with because, as many of you know, I do a lot of posting and a lot of um, uh, social media. There's no way to survive today. MGE, I, I have to tell you, and I'll end with this, I remember in the beginning days of MGE, <laughs> we used to take out ads in Time Out New York. I don't know if you know that publication, Time Out New York. For a little Fakakta quarter page ad, it was like $800. Back in the late 90s, when I first started MGE, I was trying to call, sorry about that. And I think it's incredibly important that we um, recognize what a gift we have to be able to get our products out, to be able to get our Torah, MGE, getting people to meet other people, creating community through the internet, through social media devices. We want to be able to continue to do that. And I can do that so much more effectively today than I could have done that 20 years ago. I had to spend $800 or $1,000 on a little ad that how many people would see today for free? I can get more people to see what MGE is doing and, and we can just do so many positive things. We can get so many incredible people to meet and to grow through Torah and Judaism through the internet. Let's just make sure we do it without too many of the negative side effects rearing their ugly heads and then making this whole enterprise not worth it because too many people are being cyberbullied, too many people are being hurt, too many negative images out there or false information being spread about people or movements. So we're going to talk more about this tomorrow and get into some of those other issues about modesty, humility, and uh, mindfulness and distractions. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you tomorrow. Um, I'm continuing to teach tonight, 8 o'clock, basic Judaism class. Our topic is Shabbat. If you're interested, um, uh, please email Maya at the uh, MGE office or just Google, go online, or Rabbi Ezra. I'll be co-teaching it with Rabbi Ezra tonight. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you there later tonight or tomorrow for lunch and learn again. Have an awesome day. It's beautiful out.
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Wildcast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do, it helps others discover the show. Music from today's episode comes courtesy of Yosef Wilds. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, please visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us.